I invite you to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, and when you find your place in Acts 17, we're going to be looking at verses 29 through 34. Keep your Bibles open. We're going to flip back to a couple of verses in the book of Acts. And then we're going to flip forward. You might want to place a marking in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 9 and 10 in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 towards the end of the message this morning. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, and if you do not have your own personal copy of the scriptures. We have Bibles available in our vestibule here in all of our uh, overflow areas, so we invite you to pick up a copy of God's Word today as our gift to you. Acts chapter 17, verses 29 through 34. If you are able, would you please stand in honor of the reading of this portion of Scripture? Being then God's offspring, in the context that means we're all created by God. That's what uh, Paul is saying here. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now... He commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. But others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst. But some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Thank you. Resurrection leads us to repentance. Resurrection leads us to repentance. Let's ask the Lord to help us today. Father, we rejoice today. We rejoice as your people. We rejoice to gather. We mark every Sunday. We mark the beginning of every week, the first day of every week, by gathering together to worship and honor our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But this particular Sunday, Lord, we we set aside an, an even more particular place of honor as the day in which, the Sunday in which we celebrate 
especially the resurrection. And so we as your people, those who know you, those who know Christ, we rejoice today. Because the tomb is empty, because our hope is certain, because your word is true, because we have found a treasure beyond compare that to anything else in this world or in this life, we rejoice. But as we'll see today, Father, in your word, that resurrection not only brings joy, but it also leads us to repentance. It draws us to salvation in Christ. It compels us to believe. It convinces to turn from this world and turn from self and turn from the pursuit of our own selfish desires and things of pleasures of this life to turn to true life and everlasting life and abundant life in Christ. And so we pray, Father, for this morning all across this campus as people are sitting in various places that as your word is proclaimed and explained, as your spirit is at work, that you would do the convincing and the convicting today that we would all be challenged in our relationship with you and in terms of eternity because of the resurrection it's why we are here and may it be father the 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 basis of why we are different when we leave So we pray for eyes to see and hearts to behold and embrace and treasure, lives to be surrendered, that you, Father, might be all in all. We ask for this miraculous work. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. So last week we walked by the cross. Christ gave himself as the perfect and final sacrifice for the sins of all who would believe in him. So what appeared to the unbelieving eye as defeat and shame was in fact victory and salvation. He took our sin and gave us his righteousness. He took our death and gave us life. He took our place so that we might dwell with him forever in his place. This is the doctrine of substitutionary atonement. The cross, the ultimate display of sin's consequence became the ultimate demonstration of God's salvation. But how do we know that the Bible's view and the biblical theology of the cross is true? How do we know Jesus is our substitute, that he is the final sacrifice for sin? 
How do we know that the death of Christ truly satisfied the Father's just wrath against our sin? How can the cross be verified as the means of our salvation, as the place of our forgiveness, as the foundation of our hope of eternal life? And the answer is the resurrection. The resurrection. When Christ accomplished our salvation through his suffering in our place on the cross, he cried, it is finished. It is accomplished. It is done. When God raised Christ from the dead three days later, that removed all doubt that the work was in fact done, complete, finished. So what we've read in today's passage in the book of Acts, we we find Paul in Athens and he's preaching the gospel. He is explaining salvation through Christ to, to any who would listen In verse 30, Paul issues God's God's command for all people everywhere to repent. And then he argues the, the line of reasoning. Why is that so? Why is it that now every man is to repent and God commands it? Why is that? And Paul begins to to argue and prove that that is the case from the beginning of verse 30 through the through the end of verse. 31, why is repentance the necessary response to the gospel of Christ? And as Paul comes to a conclusion of his argument in verse 31, at the end of verse 31, he ends with the resurrection. So Paul traces the need of repentance to the resurrection of Christ. That's the basis. That's the foundation for Paul's plea for his listeners to repent. That is, turn from their way. Turn from their worship. Turn from their ideas of God and, and life. and so, Turn from sin. Turn, turn from everything else and turn to Christ. In our study today... What we'll do is we'll start with the foundation. Paul argues back to the resurrection. We'll start with the resurrection and work backwards through Paul's line of reasoning here to work our way back to repentance in order to see and and grasp and embrace Paul's gospel invitation here for those who will listen. So first of all, we see there in the last part of verse 31, resurrection yields assurance. Resurrection yields assurance. You see those those last words of this verse. Of this he has given assurance to all. How? How do we have assurance? By raising him from the dead, which is the greatest assurance you could ever have that the word of God is true. So one fundamental implication of the resurrection of Christ is that it yields assurance. 
In other words, the, the resurrection guarantees the person and the work of Christ. He is who he says he is, and he has done what he said he would do. The resurrection yields certainty to the message of the gospel. How do we know that this message of salvation is true and separate from and distinct from all other messages of salvation and all other lines of philosophies and religions and even our own ideas? How do we know that this one stands above all and this one is absolutely certain and true? The resurrection. The Bible's message, the gospel message that salvation is in Christ and, and in Christ alone, it boils down to the cross. That's what we studied last week. If he is your only substitute, then he is your only savior. But in the same way, the assurance of that gospel, that that is in fact the case, that he is in fact the Christ, that when that man died on the cross, the son of God died on that cross. The assurance that that is true, that salvation indeed is in Christ and Christ alone boils down to the resurrection. The resurrection. Do you want to be saved? Do you want to be forgiven? Do you want to be reconciled with God, made right with God? Do you desire to be made new? Do you desire to have the hope of eternal Christ, of eternal life? Then the message is trust Christ. Cling to Christ. He gave his life. Give your life to Christ. He gave his life for you on the cross. Substitutionary atonement. He died for you, so trust in him. But do you want to know? Do you want to know? To be absolutely sure, to have confidence in your faith, to not waver, to not doubt, to be assured that your faith in Christ for life and salvation are surely found in him and him alone. Then you look to the resurrection. You look to the cross for salvation. You look to the empty tomb for the assurance that that indeed is your salvation. If he were only a man, if he were a false prophet who could not save, there have been many of those, there will continue to be many of those. If he was nothing more than an than a egomaniac who prayed on the weak, if he was nothing more than a delusional madman who, who only wanted a following, he would still be in the ground. It's the resurrection that yields assurance. The Bible says, but he was raised. Death could not defeat him or keep him because death's power and authority come from sin, the committing of sin. The wages of sin is death. The consequence of sin, the payment of sin is death. Not just physical death, eternal death, separation from God. If you sin, you die. If you sin and you don't have Christ, you die forever. But if you have not sinned, 
If you have never committed sin, if sin has no claim on you, no right to you, no authority over you, then death has no authority over you, no hold over you. So you can lay the lifeless body of Christ in a tomb and you can cover it with a great stone and you can seal it and you can guard it with a league of Roman soldiers, but you cannot keep the Son of God in it. He was sinless. Prisons exist because criminals exist. But if you are proven innocent, you are released from prison. Death exists because sin exists. But if you are sinless, the shackles of death are broken. On the cross, Jesus dealt with our greatest problem, our sin. In the tomb, Jesus dealt with the penalty of our greatest problem, death. Resurrection yields assurance. But continuing to work backwards now, we see that that assurance then is centered in Christ. In Christ. Look at the, the second part of verse 31. Paul reasons, By a man whom God has appointed, and of this God has given assurance to all by raising Christ from the dead. I'm replacing the pronouns there you understand with God and the Father and Christ the Son Christ is the man of scripture appointed by God the Father we know this with absolute certainty because it is Christ who was raised that's Paul's line of reasoning we know this is the man appointed by God because he raised him it was him who raised he was raised So resurrection yields assurance, and that assurance is centered on Christ. Our assurance lies in Christ, who he is, what he's done on our behalf. It is Christ. Jesus is our hope and our salvation. The Father appointed the Son to be born of the Virgin Mary. The Father appointed the Son to live a sinless life and and thereby to earn a righteousness that would be credited to us who have faith in Him. The Father appointed the Son to be the sinless substitutionary sacrifice. The Father appointed the Son to be raised, to ascend to His right hand, to return in glory, to defeat His enemies, to bring His people home, to reign forever. The Father appointed the Son... To do all of the work of redemption. History is simply the unfolding of the Father's plan for the salvation of his people through the life, death, resurrection, return, and reign of his son. Let me say that again. History is the unfolding of God's plan for his son through the life, death, resurrection, return, and reign of his son to save each and every one of his people. That's the meaning. Here's your philosophical, here's our philosophical lesson for the day. That's the meaning of history. God is saving all of his people through his son. Crown him 
with many crowns. Flip back with me to Acts chapter 2. This is Peter's sermon at Pentecost. Our sermon today is just kind of simply following the sermons we find in Acts. In Acts chapter 2 and verses 22 through 24, watch very carefully these words. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Now look in chapter 4. This is Peter's defense before the council. Considering one who had been healed and they had been arrested and Peter gives this defense in verses 10 through 12 of chapter 4. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Resurrection yields assurance, and that assurance is centered on and in Christ. Our assurance of our salvation is not grounded in our works. Our assurance of our salvation is not based upon our church membership. Our assurance of our salvation is not founded upon our decision, our performance, our righteousness in ourselves. Our assurance is grounded in Christ. He is the one appointed by the Father to be our salvation and our life. Since Christ was raised, we can be assured of salvation in him. But we can also be assured, as Paul reasons, we can also be assured of his return. So again, working our, working our way backwards through this verse, we begin at the beginning of verse 31. 
Because God has fixed a day on which he, God, will judge the world in righteousness by a man, Christ. The man appointed by God. And of this he has given assurance that that is coming because he raised him from the dead. You see how he's working back to, he's working back to the return of Christ from the resurrection of Christ. He was raised and that same one who was raised will return. You can be assured if he was raised and ascended, he will return to settle all accounts. His salvation is is not figurative language of, of some kind of spiritual fluff. It is literal. He is going to literally save his people forever. He literally died. He literally rose. He literally will return. So just as there was a certain day for his birth and a certain day for his death and a certain day for his resurrection, there is a certain day for his return. The scripture says it is fixed. It is on the calendar of God. I don't know how you mark upcoming events or upcoming plans or upcoming holidays or whatever on your calendar, but God has a calendar and he has a day marked on that calendar. It's fixed. It's settled. It's determined. It's coming. It can't be delayed. It can't be postponed. It can't be canceled, skipped, or bypassed. There exists a day in the future of this world that will be the last day of this world. Jesus said in John 14, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, you may be also. The angel said in Acts chapter 1 and verse 11, when Jesus ascended and the disciples just stood there gazing into the heavens. Angels spoke to them and said, Why do you stand looking into the heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. The resurrection gives us assurance of his return. If he just stayed in the tomb, there was nothing left to do but he rose when he comes he will judge the world the bible says he will judge the world in righteousness now what does that mean the scripture says here because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by christ what does that mean he will judge the world in righteousness that means he will judge everyone with an absolutely perfect, just judgment. Righteousness, the standard of God, is righteousness. Perfect, complete righteousness. If Christ returns to judge the world in righteousness, as the Bible says that he will, 
If he returns and judges the world, that's everyone, in righteousness, that is the standard of God, not the standard of men, not the standard of our courts, but the standard of God's court. If Christ returns to judge the world in righteousness, then we are all guilty and condemned. We are all guilty and condemned. Romans 3, there is none righteous. No, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And Christ is returning to judge the world in righteousness. Here's the gospel message. There's only one escape from the righteous judgment of God. And it is the righteousness of Christ. Listen to this verse in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, substitutionary atonement, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, faith in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. The only escape of the judgment of righteousness is the righteousness of Christ for all who believe. Why should you believe? How do you know it's Christ? The resurrection. The resurrection. All who are covered in the righteousness of Christ through faith in him will be saved. And all who remain in their own sin will be condemned. And that brings us to where Paul starts. That brings us to repentance. Look at verse 30. Now we've worked our way all the way back to the beginning of Paul's argument. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Why? Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. How do we know that's going to happen? Of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Christ has been raised. He is the one appointed by God. He will return to judge the world. So the implication is repent, believe in Christ today. Believe in him now. Turn from yourself to the Savior. Do not delay. Why? The day is coming. Christ is coming. And he will be our Savior if we love him. Or he will be our judge if we have denied him. That day is fixed. We know it's the case, the resurrection. Look at these last couple of verses. I told you we'd look at 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. I want you to see where Paul... goes through this reasoning again based on the resurrection of Christ. 
1 Thessalonians chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 9 and 10. And in this opening of this letter, Paul is rejoicing in how the Thessalonians have received the gospel and how their lives have been changed. That's what the gospel does. It, it changes your life. So in verse 9, we pick up in verse 9, For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. That's repentance. That's repentance. How you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven. It's, It's centered in Christ whom he has raised from the dead. There's our assurance that it is Christ. Jesus, now what does he do? He delivers us from the wrath to come. Because there is a fixed day that he will judge the world in righteousness. And the only thing that saves us and rescues us from the wrath against the sin of the world is the righteousness of Christ. And the verification that God has given that Christ is where our salvation and redemption lie. That he raised him. He raised him. And there are three ways we can respond to this resurrection message of Christ and we see these three ways in our text if you'll flip back to Acts 17 we'll look at the the last three verses now there are three ways to respond to the resurrection of of Christ and the gospel message to repent and to believe number one you you can walk away unchanged Verse 32 says, now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, see how it comes down to the resurrection? When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. Some dismissed it. Some thought it fantasy, fable, myth, ridiculous. They walked away unchanged. Secondly, you can put it off. You can put off repenting and believing, being unconvinced. Look at verse, the next, the next part of verse 32. But others said, we will hear you again about this. Well, they're not quite convinced, but they're at least, least going to listen again if, if there is a, an again. But then there's that third group in verse 34. You can walk away unchanged, you can put it off unconvinced, or you can believe and repent and be made new. Verse 34, but some men joined him and believed. Among whom also were Dionysius the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. You can believe. 
and be made new today. Let's pray. Father, the resurrection of Christ means so many things. Hope, assurance. Christ is the way, the truth, the life. The resurrection convinces. The resurrection establishes. The resurrection proclaims that this gospel message is the true gospel message. That there is life, there is salvation in no other name. So, Father, for all of us gathered here this morning, we have just we, we have a few minutes now to respond. If we are apart from Christ, I pray in grace you have convinced us of who your Son is and that we would be compelled to believe and to repent and to embrace Christ today as Savior and Lord. If we are covered in the righteousness of Christ, may we love him even more today. And may it be evident in our lives that the resurrection of Christ is our joy. Father, do a work in our lives based on your word through the power of your spirit as we respond to the resurrection. In Christ's name, amen. You have been listening to the sermon ministry of Will Owens, pastor of Grassy Pond Baptist Church, Gaffley, South Carolina. Be sure to visit willowens.com to hear more sermons, read blogs, and learn more about the missions branch, P67 Missions. Again, thank you for listening to Will Owens.